I will tell y'all, this has always been one of my favorite Bible stories. I love this for two reasons. One, because of all the miracles that Jesus did, this just is a really cool one. And because one of the disciples actually got to be, you know, a big part of this. And so I have to tell you my story of when I was young in my attempt at the miracle of walking on water. So I grew up out on a ranch uh, out in West Texas in the Panhandle, and just not too far from our house, say about 50 yards at most, was this cow tank. And if you don't know what a cow tank is, it's basically a giant above ground round metal swimming pool uh, where cattle come to drink water. And it was actually one of my favorite playgrounds because it had a fence that was built right over, that went right over the middle of this cow tank so that it could separate into two cattle pens, two different sets of cows could come and drink uh, from the same cow tank. And I would also call it a rancher's aquarium because we actually had some fish in this cow tank as well. We had some goldfish, we had some catfish in there, and even some perch. So you can see as, as a young boy why this is such a popular hangout for me. It stood about three feet off the ground. It was about 15 feet across, so a pretty decent sized one here. And at the bottom of this cow tank was about four inches of the nastiest, ugliest smelling mud. So my mom always knew if we stepped into and went swimming in the cow tank, which we did fairly often actually. So here's my story. I was probably about five years old and I remember hearing the story and thinking, what an awesome miracle. And I thought the cow tank was a perfect setting for me to attempt this miracle. Now, I wasn't dumb. I knew that I needed some help if I wanted to better my chances for success to make this miracle happen, right? And I remember seeing this short little video clip in the news of a man in the Philippines um, who had laid out these straw mats just on top of the water and he was able to run while still staying afloat from one boat dock to another. And I thought, there it is. That's my method right there. So what could I use instead of straw mats? Aha! Mama's big fancy towels. I mean, we didn't even use them that much anyways. They only like came out whenever the guests came. So I thought, perfect, let's use that. And I don't know how I went unnoticed taking these big old towels and several trips from, from the house all the way out to the cow tank there, but got them there, I opened them up, I laid them out sort of one on top of the other and got it across sort of like the bridge across here and, and the towels were perfectly perpendicular to that metal fence that went over on it. So I was thinking that as I'm walking across water, I could just grab and hop on the fence, look back leisurely and see the miracle that I'm performing before continuing on. Pretty smart thing, I thought. This is perfect. And then of course, just to make sure everything was really set up well, I made this ramp at the start of the cow tank from the ground so I could get a good running start because I need to be going fast if I'm gonna get across this thing here. And so then it came time, everything was perfect. I was ready to perform the miracle here. And I got a ways back, I got my running start. I was at full speed by the time I hit the top lip of that cow tank and I took my first step out onto the water. And then I face planted into the water. But here's the thing. I didn't stop there, okay? Because I knew this Bible story, okay? Peter was a quitter, all right? He just gave it up as soon as he started sinking. So I knew I just had to keep running. I didn't really have time to stop at that halfway fence point. Probably couldn't pull myself up if I wanted to. And so I just kept running. And I made it to the other side. 
granted, I was, I was still inside the tank and, because I was too tired to actually climb out at that point then. But I turned around to admire the miracle that I had attempted, and I saw all of my mother's fancy towels, mostly submerged, sunk, and covered in that mud at the very bottom of that tank. We didn't have fancy towels for a long time after that. To be honest, I didn't have much of a backside after that either. And that would be the last time I'd attempt walking on water, at least using towels. But I still, even to this day, love this Bible story. And I'm seeing as we grow up, some of those stories in the Bible, they take on a deeper meaning, or we simply notice more implications of the story as we grow up and spend more time in them. So today, I want us to take a look at a couple of pieces of this story, and afterwards, I just ask that you would dwell on them a little bit. The story is familiar enough, so take some time and ponder on the elements of the story. So for today, I want you to think about the water and what it represents. Ask yourself, where was God? Then ask, what was Peter thinking? And last, for a little bit of application for us as the church today, we're going to think about the boat. So let's start with that water there. This is the Sea of Galilee, huge, large body of water here. And besides all of the physical dangers that come with being at sea, especially in the middle of the night, the sea itself in biblical thought represents the forces of chaos. So to the biblical mind, being on the sea is itself a threat, representing all the anxieties and dark powers that threaten the goodness of the created order. So when Jesus walks on the water, it's not simply a miracle because Jesus is defying the law of gravity. The biblical way to see this is the one who overcomes the power of chaos. So it says, to walk upon means to conquer And the sea is this anti-creation chaos monster entity. Now, ancient thought believed that no human being could perform the feat of walking on water because that was reserved for deity, for the divine. And in biblical thought, only God walks on the sea. And here we have Jesus doing what only God can do. And even when he speaks to the disciples, he responds with that familiar, I am phrase that God uses to self-identify, Yahweh. So where is God in this story? And yes, this is where you can throw out one of those easy church answers right here. God is in the boat with the disciples, and he's outside the boat on the waves in the person of Jesus. But, But Jesus, who represents God with us, was not with them at least at the beginning. A couple of chapters before this, we have the story where they're going back out to the Sea of Galilee again, but Jesus goes with them. You know, when the storm comes up and Jesus is sleeping in the boat and they're all worried about it, and Jesus wakes up, calms the storms. But this time, and this is intentional, Jesus was not with them. He sent them on ahead, and everything was going rough, and they were scared, Until the very end, when Jesus was with them, stepped in the boat, the wind stopped, and they worshipped him. Jesus used this situation to show them that they need Christ. That they need Christ to be with them. That we, the church, need Christ with us, or we are lost out at sea, out in the chaos without him. 
And that is actually the true point of the story that Jesus is trying to make. It's not about Peter's part in all this. But speaking of Peter, why did he want to get out of the boat? What was he thinking? Was it because he wanted to do as Jesus does, this is in the call to all of us, to be Christ-like, or because he sought some experiential, spectacular reassurance that God is real? After Jesus says to them, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, this is how Peter responds, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So, in other words, Peter wants to believe, but he's not fully convinced. And he needs something big to make him believe. So this whole act of Peter isn't a grand attempt at living out his faith. It is a lack of faith. And he's putting God to the test in this moment. Now, here's the crazy thing. Peter was willing to put his life on the line in a very dangerous situation just to see some proof of God. So I want us to ask ourselves, where are we stepping out, not in faith, but because we desperately want to see God do something amazing in this chaos if we simply believe enough? That isn't the actions of a disciple. That's a trap of the devil. And I'll admit to you, Peter is one of my favorite disciples, you know, mostly because I love that he's a man of action, but even more so these times because I see, I see a bit of myself in him and some of those mistakes that he just rushes into along the way. In our lives today, are we stepping out into the chaos, into the mess of life, just hoping to see something spectacular, something miraculous to prove that God is there? then we, like Peter, aren't acting in response to what God has done in His promises or to answer the call to reveal God's kingdom. We're sinking in our attempts to get God to prove Himself in some big flashy way. But remember what I said earlier. The point of the story is not Peter's lack of faith. Here's the danger if that was the case. When our fantasies of God proving Himself through events that simply overcome the laws of physics or biology are shattered by the realities of accident, disease, aging, and just circumstances, yes, we begin to sink and would be left to feel guilty because of our lack of faith. But Peter isn't the point. Jesus came to be with them. That is the point. He came to be with them, to rescue them, to get in the boat with them. It is as Scripture has continued to attest from Old Testament to New Testament what God has done and continues to do for His disciples and for us today. Now, I know I'm sort of bashing on Peter here a little bit, but I want you to notice something real quick. Jesus didn't say, Peter, you better check yourself before you shipwreck yourself. No. He told Peter, come on. This is one of those traits that I love about God. God is not so over-controlling that He doesn't allow us those moments, which make for great stories later on, to learn about our need for Him. Did Peter have any business out there on that water where only the divine may walk upon the chaos? I don't know. 
But, but, guess what, y'all? He did walk on water. He did get to do it while he was focused on Jesus. Think on that a little bit and what that might mean if maybe we are called out of the boat. You know, I always wondered after that if Peter and Jesus maybe had some more conversations about that event and if, you know, Peter later had other attempts at walking on water, maybe while no one was watching. I know that wasn't the end of it because you know those other disciples reminded him and gave him a hard time about it whenever they had a chance. Speaking of those other disciples, let's talk about the boat. All right. We know that that is representing of the church. And um, I've had this song stuck in my head all week, so it is definitely okay to get it stuck in y'all's heads as well. Hughes Corporation song, rock the boat, don't rock the boat, baby. Go ahead and get that stuck in your head right now. It's great. I think this idea of the boat is a great image, of course, for the church. It's a small little wooden vessel that's in this vast, dark, and chaotic sea. We cannot command or control the sea. We're just trying to navigate so we can get to wherever we're going. But thankfully, we're in this boat together. And thank the Lord that Christ is with us. So now just for a moment, I want you to put yourself in that boat with those disciples. Okay, This is, this is a church gathering, a church meeting, whatever, but you're in the boat together. And I'm sure in that situation, it was probably a mess. The boat is rocking all over the place, whether it's from the waves or the people inside the boat. And what do you think the disciples are thinking or talking about there? Judas is probably yelling, Peter, quit rocking the boat. And Thomas is saying, I doubt he's going to make it. And James and John are back there in, in the back of the boat saying, hey, if you go, I'll go. Those disciples in the boat are just like our church boat now. We have all kinds of people in our boat. And I would say that the different kinds of people we have in our boat, there's probably about six different kinds, right? We have our Peters who are just ready to just jump out of the boat. For whatever reason, good intentions, bad intentions, they are just ready to get out of the boat as it's rocking here for whatever reason here. The other type of people that we have in the boat with us, we have those go-with-the-flow people, I'm going to call them. There's those that when the waves are coming up and the boat starts rocking, they go with it. They go with the flow. Whatever way the boat is rocking, hey, that's the way I'm going to go too. The other group of people we have in the boat with us I call the counterbalance folks. They're those ones who like everything to be in order, to decent, and the way that it's supposed to be. And they know that as the boat starts rocking, they know to throw their weight in a counterbalancing way to help settle things down to get that boat back nice and easy. Then, of course, we got those folks I'm just going to call the freeze in terror folks. Those ones that as soon as the boat starts rocking, they grab on to anyone or anything and they are holding on. And they are sort of at the mercy of the rocking of the boat at that point. The boat could go upside down. They are holding their position. They are not moving from where they are. They're a good person to grab on to if you're getting tossed around a little bit here. Then there's those other people, I'm going to call them the dog in the car folks. And you've ever known if you've had a dog inside a vehicle that as they're trying to stand there and the vehicle starts moving, it just seems like all their functions are ceasing to work with their brain. And they don't know where they're moving, you don't know where they're moving, but they are all over the place. I know many of you all might know, like we used to have a 100 pound bloodhound and it was always uh, almost a driving disaster whenever I had to take him to the vet because he wouldn't sit still and he would end up partially in my lap and then all over the place. 
A lot of times we're just hoping it's like, okay, for those people, just calm down, settle down, get in a comfy spot, hang on. Here we go. And of course, the last ones are the sleepers. And when the boat starts rocking, they're ready for a nap. They're going to be fine. They're getting some good rest, right? You know some of these people, okay? We are some of these people. The thing is, though, they all have their purpose and their place in the boat. And of course, we as the church, as the loving body of Christ, the truth is, we don't get to kick anybody out of the boat. We're all in this together. So the boat, the boat is always going to be rocked. Maybe it's the waves outside the boat. Maybe it's the people inside the boat. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's the other passengers. The truth is, we all respond differently while the church navigates these chaotic seas, but we're all still in this boat together. The thing is, we have to look beyond Peter's doubts. We have to look beyond our doubts because Jesus looked beyond Peter's doubts and our doubts as well. And what we will see when we look beyond the doubts, the lack of faith, the shortcomings, the failures, we will see that Christ is with us. And who do you want to have sitting by you amidst the chaos? The one who conquers chaos. We have assurance in Jesus who is faithful. And so I can tell you this. It is going to be okay. We will make it to the other side. And Christ is still going to call us to do his good work. And he will continue to work through us. Because he has promised to be with us in the boat. No matter what rocks the boat, no matter who rocks the boat. Faith, it's not being able to walk on water. But instead, daring to believe in the face of all the evidence that God is with us in the boat. Made real in the community of faith as it makes its way rocking through the storm. 